The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Laura Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by the actor James Dreyfus, best known for his roles in TV sitcoms The Thin Blue Line and Gimme Gimme Gimme. James has also appeared in the film Notting Hill and has a long and distinguished stage career. James, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you for having me. James, we're going to start where we always do, at the beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? (laughs) Well, I spent a lot of my early years in France and America. So my uh, my early memories, uh, uh, we're talking during the 70s, so very much um, grape, grape juice and McDonald's, a lot of that in America, and um, those biscuits those little um uh, mcdonald's biscuits and in france a lot of cheese the whole house smelt of cheese so those are my earliest memories my mother wasn't really a cook um and she lived freely a bit that you know it just wasn't her thing and she had other children and uh, um so my memory is much more of smells um whenever i smell grape or whether whether I, when i smell brie <laughs> it takes me right back uh, and then, of course, in the later years, uh, school food. And are those those brie, those cheese memories, are they fond ones? Or was it something, I mean, sophisticated for a small child? Well, it, it was. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it smelled disgusting as a child. <laughs> I mean, really disgusting. But when I grew up, uh, uh, you know, and then started eating uh, and developed a huge love for food and the smells, of course, my palate was infinitely more sophisticated than it was when I was I don't know, four. But um, they did, it was something, I mean, I love to eat. I mean, I just love to eat. And um, those smells, it's not the taste of anything I can remember. It's always the smells. And it, that's actually still true to till today, because, uh, to today, because I am quite experimental in what I like to eat, or try at least even if it looks absolutely hideous. And James, what were mealtimes like in your family? Chaotic. chaotic. I come from quite a large family. I'm the eldest of quite a few. And we were all, uh, we spent a lot of time with, uh, because my mother uh, for a while was a single mother, we spent a lot of time with her cousins. So there were very uh, stern aunts, small chain smoking, screaming in French and screaming in whatever language they spoke at each other the place was cut, always eating in the kitchen with us kids round and it was chaos so but a wonderful wonderful memory it was a you know i have very fond memories of it but definitely run by tough matriarchs who just spent, spent the entire time cooking and screaming <laughs> and you you mentioned school food just then james what 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 are your memories of school food pretty pretty dismal i expect as everyone's is i'm sure rissoles that weren't really cooked, so they were red in the middle. Grey peas, 
mass tubs of, well, I think they called it lasagna, but it wasn't. You know, it was typical. I mean, this was at a English prep school back in the 80s. So you'd expect it to be pretty rubbish. And it certainly lived up to all its low expectations. You mentioned that your your mother was was not much of a cook, but you obviously had this um this surrounding of 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 women cooking in kitchens as you grew up. Did you did you learn from them at all? Were you there, sort of absorbing or not? <laughs> not at all. I was more interested in eating the chocolate drops for dogs. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. Do you remember those? They were they were they were special chocolate drops. That they weren't chocolate and they weren't drops, but they were these huge dogs that used to stay in a room beside the kitchen and they'd come hurtling in and I was much more interested in um, getting my hands on sweets and chocolates and uh, yeah things for the dog frankly (laughs) but I never paid any attention you know I never paid any attention to how things were cooked but it was usually sort of beans on toast or uh, sausages or something something simple but you know or a stew or because because they're just because there were so many of us you know, they couldn't, you know, they didn't, this is how it, it was. Or, you know, those Finder's crispy pancakes or you know, other pancakes are available. But, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And and you went on to Harrow. Was the food any better there compared to your prep school? No, it was very standard fare. I mean, it was, it was okay, but it was sort of fish and chips on a Friday. Lots and lots of baked beans, sausages, a, a version of a Sunday dinner but not really, if you know what I mean. But again, you know, 900 boys in one room, uh, you know, they just sort of slopped it out and gave it to us. But it was perfectly edible. We we ate three times a day and um, in between uh, eating, you could help yourself to toast in the afternoons. But that was uh, <laughs> that was about it. And after you left school, you went and trained at RADA. Was that yeah. your first experience of, of sort of fending for yourself culinarily or how, how were you eating there? <laughs> well, I worked in a pub called the Markham Arms, which was halfway down the King's Road. And I worked there for the first couple of years whilst I was at RADA. So I'd usually spend my evenings in the pub and usually, you know, have pub grub, you know, at the start of the night. And then I'd have something later on because I wouldn't finish till, you know, quite late. Um, and then at Rada, it was, you know, again, like canteen food, a lot of canteen food. But again, it wasn't, it's nothing I can complain about, but it was no culinary thing, because again, you're talking about feeding a vast, you know, a large amount of people. But my, my meals, my early years, that I would call my meals institutional. <laughs> and <laughs> does that make sense? It does. I, guess, sort of... I think institutional is such an interesting word because it's, it comes with negative connotations, but then we have this kind of nostalgia for those meals. You know, when you talk yes. about horrible school lasagna, I know exactly what you mean, but I could also just go for one now. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, this is a this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, you 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 think, oh God, this is so rotten, and I hate it, and I won't, I don't want to eat it. And then you grow up, and you think, you know, something. I don't think food has really changed that much. I mean, uh, I mean, especially if you're young and you know, and you're a working mum and you're getting food on the table for four people, for four kids and whoever, or the dad does the cooking or whatever. But you, you're still, it's still pretty basic fare. It's you know, chicken and and veg and what you can afford. I think for most people, that's still very much what it is. You know, give your kids 
veg, you know, if they'll eat it. And I don't think that's changed very much for most people, you know, just uh, especially at the moment where no one's got any money and no one can, you know, go larking off to restaurants. Uh, but I do. I hark back, you know, sometimes for the day. There was an item on the news the other night saying that um, young people today are not eating spotted dick uh, or jam roly-poly and custard. And I thought, firstly, I thought slow news. <laughs> but then they were interviewing they were interviewing some youngsters on the streets and they didn't know what it was. And I was thinking, that's so funny because this was this was stock every other day. And actually, they were quite nice. It was, I guess it was the, the rubbish that they put with it, like uh, the uh, custard with the thick skin on the top, which just sort of puts you off the whole thing, really. And then you get a sort of air bubble full of powder. <laughs> yeah. And you think, really, this is just this is revolting. But uh, But you're right. But you're absolutely right. James, can you tell us a bit about catering and food when you're on a, f- a film set or f- um, working on a TV series? What I mean, what's what's it like, and 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 are there kind of different gradations of of cuisine on on film and TV sets? Yeah, it's well, uh, it's changed a bit, but I would say good ninety percent of the time, the food's great, and uh, you know, you used to just queue up go to the truck, get your meal, and they would have, you know, three or four different things on the menu. Uh, now, I mean, it, it, it's incredible what you get. Uh, you know, they'll do vegetarian options, uh, pescatarian options, vegan options. And, and, and uh, the thing I'm working on at the moment, they have a, a truck, which is dangerous, right outside where we're filming. But with everything you can possibly imagine, I mean, smoothie. So it really, uh, it's really quite good. This is why people say, don't eat too much at lunch if you've got a scene after lunch, because all you do is go to sleep. <laughs> but it's actually, we're very lucky. It's because the food is good. On the whole, if you get a bad catering company, you're doomed for the rest <laughs> of the shoot. And has that always been the case? Or have you seen a sort of change in in how actors and, and crew members are looked after um, in terms of catering? No, they looked after, we looked after pretty well. You, can't, you really can't complain. Okay, sometimes you might not, not like the food that there is and you'll go and ask someone, you know, could you get me a sandwich thing? Then you just you know, sort it out. But on the whole, you know, they work really hard. If, you, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to feed 150 people who are all queuing up and hungry and angry... <laughs> I think they uh, do a pretty, pretty good job. That's just my opinion. Others might disagree. <laughs> and James, you've, you've spoken in the past about your relationship with drink. C- can you tell, if you feel comfortable, can you tell listeners a little bit about yeah. that aspect of, of your relationship with food and drink? Yeah, well, I used to, oh God, you know, my drink was whiskey and it was neat whiskey. And I got sort of onto this, at, I don't know, age 17 or 18. And it just made me a really horrible person. I mean, I, I mean, uh, you know, starting fights, starting arguments, having to be taken home by my colleagues. And one day, I was walking through Hyde Park, and I and I'd gone to a picnic, and I'd taken a bottle of scotch, and I'd finished it, and I was coming home, and apparently, I'd verbally abused this family who were uh, walking on the opposite side, and of course, they were frightened. And the son came over and gave me a really good smack and gave me to my friend who put me in a taxi and apparently I gave my friend a smack as he put me in the taxi and that was it I just thought 
this is abysmal. I can't. So I gave up uh, spirits and I gave up. Uh, and then I, and I never was a beer drinker. And then I'd have wine, but I'd have too much wine. And, you know, uh, now, I think now in the last 10 years, I've got a very much gen more gentle approach to it. I'll have a couple of glasses. And then actually my body just says, okay, you're fine. And I don't have that need to, you know, they say, you know, one drink is too many, a thousand, never enough. And I, uh, but I'm okay on two or three drinks now. But, you know, uh, I guess that's something you learn over, over time or not. There are people who can't do that. But it, yeah, it was out of control. I think, thank goodness, I sort of got that sussed quite early. Learned a lesson quite early is what I mean. Yeah, I think my relationship with drink now is, is you know, I have it with a meal. I have a a glass of wine before, maybe one during, and I'm done. And, you know, all I want to do is go to bed. And when you first had that revelation that, that something had to change, did it, I mean, I know you, you as you say, you now have sort of balance and, and restraint. Did it change the way that you ate or, or went out with friends for dinner? Did you have to avoid circumstances? What was it like? It always end up. I mean, ninety. I would no. I'd say a good seventy percent of the time it ended up marring the evening. Number one, because I couldn't remember what happened in the restaurant. Uh, number two, I couldn't remember whether it had ended well or it hadn't. And you get those phone calls in the morning of, "Oh my God, do you remember anything of last night?" And that dread goes straight to your stomach, and you think, "Oh God." So it did because I was always doing things to excess especially when I was living in Soho and I was going to work at the theatre and then going out every night afterwards. You get into that routine. And then, of course, everything changed for me when the smoking ban came in. Because, and I know, I know it's horrible to have people smoking in restaurants. It is. And I get that. But for me personally, it somewhat took the joy out of having a meal in a restaurant. If it wasn't for the smoking ban, I think that, that somewhat curtailed my excesses as well because I don't like standing outside having a cigarette but I've got no option James listeners may be aware also of your close companion your dog Hobbs who's who's actually got a, a big social media presence as well can you tell us a little bit about him and I mean what does he like to eat you mentioned you like to eat chocolate dog drops does he have a taste for anything intended for humans I mean anything I mean, he's a pig. I mean, a absolute pig. And of course, we've we have encouraged this. Like he now comes down first. First, we've indulged this. So we lost a. I had a dog previously, and if you, and he died whilst we were on holiday. And he died age seven. He was called Calvin. And so we went through massive trauma. Of obviously getting over that. So Hobbs came from that. So I think we overdid it with him because he now goes downstairs and the first thing he does is put his paws up and he just thinks before we even start the day I have to throw a handful of treats into the garden so he can go and get them but he would eat and for a terrier I get it if you're a lad but if you're a terrier I, he, but he's not you know he's not all there so uh, you know but he does eat anything and he's getting a bit porky at the moment, so we've got to give him some exercise. <laughs> but you're right. I think people join social media just to follow him. <laughs> because whenever I put something on social media about Hobbes, I get it in the neck for the next two hours. <laughs> 
and tell us about your your cooking at home. Do you, do you enjoy cooking? Oh God, I don't cook at all. Tell us more. I did um, Hell's Kitchen mm-hmm. in two thousand and four with the wonderful Gordon Ramsay, who I loved. But it was it was such a hard two weeks, and it was, and I learned so much about what goes into preparing it. But I was under the impression that it was a cooking show where I'd learned to cook. I didn't realise it was a programme to learn how to run a restaurant and to serve people. So it kind of... And I used to say to Angela Hartner, oh, God, look at the effort involved. You've got to do this every, you know, lunch. You get lunch out of the way, then you do supper. And you just don't stop. You're up early. You just do not stop. I mean, it's the most stressful thing I've ever thought and I thought I've only did it for two weeks so I don't know what it is but I it's the timings I can't do the cooking I used to do a little bit but if I have to cook for more than one person I just can't get the timings so I just don't cook my partner loves to cook so you know I think I'm just being kind by letting him and and who dictates what is cooked do you put in requests or does is he Totally in charge of the menu. No, he puts uh, he puts in requests, and but of course I sit there going, "Oh, we had this discussion last week. <laughs> I like this." I, I get so frustrated. <laughs> but he's a very good cook, and you know. But you know, we have um, linguine with prawns. We do Mex. He does Mexican food, uh, fish. We do a lot of fish. A lot of uh, salad niçoise, lots of Caesar salad, the occasional burger, the occasional red meat. Yeah, I, you know, I guess I'm just sort of bone idle, frankly, to be completely honest. James, what what for you is comfort food? Whether you've cooked it or you're oh, being cooked it, what what is comfort food? That's such a good question. I mean, something like like a like a hamburger or chips or. A, a, a Rogan Josh or a, a really good Chinese meal or something that you could just, you eat and then you can't move. <laughs> that's, that's comfort food. And I do prefer, I used to love sweet, but now I prefer savoury. So, you know, I could have fine comfort. When did that change? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But I get cravings, you know. You know, I sometimes I get cravings. I think, oh, what's a, oh, I feel like eating a bit of pastrami or a bit of prosciutto or a bit of ham. And I'll sit there and I'll go through the whole, like a packet of crisps, and I'll just eat the whole packet of ham. Um, and I find that very comforting. Comforting, but I mustn't do that too often because I'm getting fat. And when you eat out, where do you? Where's your? Where are your favourite places to go? I don't have a fav- favourite place anymore. I, when I lived in London, Ed, Andrew Edmonds. Lovely which is a fantastic, well, you know, uh, place. Simple, fresh, always with nice wines there. No fuss, no frills, no two tiny portions. Nothing. It's just, that's that's the only example I can think of in my head of ideally a place I'd like to go every single night. And James, to finish, we, we normally ask our guests what their desert island meal would be. What, what would be yours? <laughs> Okay, can I be extravagant about this? You can this? be Please. as extravagant yeah. as you like. The more extravagant, <laughs> okay. the better, really. Okay, a huge platter 
of different fish and shellfish. So lobster, crab, anything that's been in the sea, but a huge platter. And I mean anything, apart from anything anemone-like, anything with a sort of, that looks like a bit of curd, which I don't like. But lobster, fresh seafood, is what I would eat. And actually, that works, because if I'm on a jet side, that's all I would be able to eat. <laughs> Do you have pudding? <laughs> what? Pudding? I don't eat puddings. That's weird. I don't. I just thought about it. I don't eat. I really don't eat them. Because I tell you why. It's because I'm such a pig with my first courses. I like the starter and I like the main meal. And by then I'm absolutely Done. full. Not even a cheese board. You see, I have cheese before the meal. <laughs> <laughs> I, have cheese. I like that. So I, tactic. You know, I, do, I do, but it's terrible. I was sitting there last night putting some Somerset Brie on some water biscuits. My partner's saying, what are you doing? We're about to eat. And I'm like, I'm just having like a, you know, an aperitif from some nibbles. And warming up. Again, it's that savoury thing. What? Just warming up. Yeah, I'm just I've got, I, like Joey from Friends said, I, you've got to exercise your stomach <laughs> muscles. <laughs> With a bit of Somerset Brie and a water biscuit. I think that's probably why. Yeah. And what could be better? <laughs> James, thank you very much for joining Table Talk today. A bit an absolute pleasure, and it's made me hungry. I'm going to go and eat now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Spectators Food and Drink podcast. For more recipes, food history, stories, and drinks, you can head to the Spectator website. La pauvre fleur disait au papillon ciel.